Girls basically became the- Back with you, another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz talking the world of Hawkeye athletics with you. Biz, another day and, uh, well, another foot in the mouth for the University of Iowa. It finally comes to a head on Wednesday for the first time in nine days. We get to hear from Gary Barta. We also get to hear from Gary Dolphin. And then following that press conference, a press conference with Fran McCaffrey after he his exploits uh, on the hardwood after the game. Uh, walking to the tunnel in the locker room against Ohio State. A lot to decipher today. Ah, oh boy, sometimes sometimes it can be tough being a Hawkeye fan. It's safe to say, Trent, this might have been the weirdest week in uh, Iowa sports history. I, I'm pretty confident. You know, you just put Statboy on the job. That this may have been the, uh, or, or pretty much 100% sure this was the first press conference in the history of college athletics that involved a. Uh, a, a dual press conference involving suspensions of an announcer and a head coach. So uh, it doesn't get stranger than that. But, you know, uh, my uh, rant last week about tr- trying to leave Fran out of this uh, <laughs> did, did not age well. Fran basically said, uh, hold my beer. I want to get involved. So he uh, he made himself very involved over the last few days. So. An interesting week, to say the least, but uh, I will say the press conference overall went better than I anticipated it was going to, and uh, you know things appear to at least be smoothed over at least a little bit, at least on the Dolphin side of things. Yeah, you know, another interesting part, and this came out during the uh, Fran McCaffrey Coaches Radio Show, was that Wednesday night, I guess it would have been, now, Gary Dolphin, who normally hosts it, wasn't hosting because of the suspension. It was Bobby Hansen, but mentioned that Fran had reached out and uh, asked to watch the game with him Saturday in the locker room against Rutgers. I've heard today Tom Caker told me uh, during my radio program that Dolph has uh, very politely declined that just because Dolph doesn't want to make this any more about himself. And he knows afterwards that'd probably be a story and people you know, wanting to see how it was and things like that. Gary Dolphin didn't want to make this story any bigger, so he's declined that. But a nice olive branch at least extended out of Fran McCaffrey. Well, I think uh, Tom Caker may be spreading fake news there, Trent. Uh, oh, really? Right before uh, you called me, I was waiting because, as usual, you were uh, late and, and delayed in getting to me. So uh, I was flipping through Twitter, and there was just an article posted within the last like, 15, 20 minutes by Mark Emmert saying that McCaffrey and Dolphin will oh. be watching the game tomorrow. So uh, uh, we are officially, I think, in the middle of uh, a reenactment of the movie Step Brothers, Trent. I don't know if you know that movie, but uh, I believe Dolph and McCaffrey just became best friends. So uh, <laughs> they'll be watching the game tomorrow and then hopefully uh, going out to the garage to do some karate afterwards. So, uh, um, yeah, apparently they are officially doing it. I, I Believe me, I, I thought the same thing Kurt and probably you did, which is, yeah, there's no way they're watching the game together. But at least according to this article, they are. So uh, well, I think they should uh, 
whatever it's on tomorrow, Big Ten Network or whatever, should just have a live feed of the, the two of them watching the game. It might be more entertaining than watching uh, the slugfest between Iowa and Rutgers that's going to happen. I'm right there with you. I mean, you, you can sell that pay-per-view, put it up on, on somewhere where you can just watch it. and Oh, that'd be great. I, I think just watching Frey McCaffrey when he can't coach the team in itself would be great. Then he got Dolph there, and yeah, maybe they'll have a, a cocktail together and watch the ball game. That's great. I, I, I'm i happy to hear and see as I'm skimming through the article right now that it does look like it is going to happen. That would be absolutely excellent and hope that's the case. You know, it, it is so interesting going back to Wednesday and the dual press conference that were going on at the time. Just how different the tone in both of those press conferences were. Gary Dolphin seemed very forthright about issues. He could have easily said, I'm serving my suspension, and, and, and made it more difficult than it was. And it shows you how important being the voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes is to Gary Dolphin and him really understanding and realizing mistakes that were made and, and why that term wasn't used. There's plenty of people backing him, and he could have taken that defense, and he could have made this difficult. He didn't. Well, I, I came away from that the first of the two press conferences thinking, man, Gary Dolphin's just a great guy. I mean, you know, as you know, and as our listeners know, when we usually talk about Dolph, I, I generally make it pretty clear that I, I am not a fan of his announcing abilities. But uh, I want to make it equally clear today that I am uh, just as big of a fan or, or even more of a fan of, of him as a human being. I mean, he just handled himself incredibly well during that press conference. I was uh, just so impressed with his general demeanor and attitude and the way he handled it. Because like you said, he had he easily could have came on there and been bitter or surly and just said, hey, I didn't do anything wrong here. I'm getting the, I'm getting the shaft. And instead he was just the opposite. I mean, and the most amazing thing to me is, you know, you know the part about when he brought up the fact that he's got a lot of, of African-American friends and colleagues and ex-players that had talked to him and, and it all said, you know, hey, we understand what you were doing, we understand you, your intent, but we're also disappointed. All of that, that whole conversation was unprompted. It, it wasn't even a, a question pending. He just decided, you know what, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to lay this out there because I think it's important for people to understand that I uh, am trying to better myself. And I was just really, really impressed with that. I thought his handling of the, the whole situation, you know, has obviously caused, I think, a lot of people to kind of rethink their views or at least, uh, you know, take a step back and think a little bit more about it. I mean, you look at the Chad Leistico article, you look at the John Miller's uh, uh article or a response where he talked about how he's changed his views. I mean, those things don't happen unless Dolph handles himself the way he did. So, uh, you know, I think the whole university and probably everybody in general just needs to give a big thank you to Dolph for how he handled it, because I think he has done a lot to uh, smooth this situation over, over the last couple of days. There's no doubt. This thing could have got ugly. It could have got litigious. You know things about that. If if Dolph probably wanted to go that road, they could have gone that road. He didn't want to. He didn't make it about that, and he will be back for spring football. That is a good thing. During it, uh, a couple of times, Gary Barta butted in on a couple of things, but it seemed like it went to a different level uh, when part two of the press conference took over, and that was with Fran McCaffrey. So Fran, on his way to the locker room, uh, is berating an official. What, McJunkins, I think was the guy's name, something like that. Uh, Iowa has not been very good when he's officiated games. People are trying to connect the dots there. 
He used the word cheating. The word cheating, I didn't have a problem with, though my co-host uh, did on my radio show. He, he thought that it was implying that literally, that, that the fix was in with this. I didn't read it that way. I read it as Fran McCaffrey was upset. Words have meaning, as we learned with Gary Dolphin, but I didn't read it that way. Your takeaway from the Fran situation against the Buckeyes. My takeaway, more than anything, is what the hell is Fran talking about? The officiating had nothing to do with that loss. <laughs> I mean, we played bad basketball, and we lost our composure late in the game. You know, I just don't think the officiating had anything to do with that game. I just don't think we played well at all. And I thought, you know, the least of our concerns in that game was officiating. So it baffles me that, that he was so... Obviously, he was so furious that he couldn't contain himself, and he was waiting. You know, he was smart enough, or thought he was smart enough, to wait until it was out of a public view. But then he obviously was absolutely crazy the moment he uh, he thought he was uh, in a private situation, and that just that whole situation just rose me the wrong way. The language, I get it. You know, <laughs> coaches all over the place use that type of language, but to me, it's more just his complete lack of being rational in the situation i mean go back to the go back to the locker room and chew your team out for not playing well i mean don't you give them the wrong impression that somehow some way the officiating cost them that game it didn't cost them that game in any way at all they lost that game because ohio state just simply played better in pretty much every way so that's my my first take on it i just i just think he's way off in his assessment of the situation and then you know as as good of a job as Gary Dolphin did in his press conference, uh, you know, I think the flip side of that, Fran did just as poorly. I just, I was shocked how poorly he did during during the press conference. And you know, I saw his, his pre-conference comments, and I thought, good, Fran gets it. He's going to be contrite. He's going to, uh, you know, admit that he made a mistake. And then, then he he had every opportunity to do that, and he failed. He did. He. he uh... He apologized, but not really apologizing. It's... <laughs> he apologized for getting caught, Trent, is what he apologized for. <laughs> yes, uh, there, there's plenty of people that are, are like that. It's not a surprise that that is kind of how Fran is wired, but you know, you're exactly right. He apologized for getting caught, not for the actual actions that would happen there. You know, a thing that rubbed me the wrong way, I don't know if it really bothered me or anything like that, but he was asked the question, you know, if he needs to get help with his anger issues and he he was baffled almost by the question if Fran McCaffrey doesn't see that he has some kind of issue with the blow-up and this is going back to his sideline demeanor for a long time I have no problem when he freaks out it's the problem that I've always had with it is the way he goes to 0-100 the way that he completely loses his mind and Tom Izzo he's working officials throughout the course of a game there are plenty of coaches in college basketball and that's what they do and they're pleading and they're begging and they're doing all these things but they do it in a way that can get to a specific point. Fran's buddy-buddy with guys. He's all good with officials. And then he just completely loses it. Biz, you referee at the high school level, you know it, when a coach does that, A, when it comes out of nowhere, it's pretty easy to have that quick trigger, isn't it? Well, especially it baffles me because you'll have that quick trigger and then you know, two, three minutes later, he's buddy-buddy back with him again. Yeah. And that's just, it, it's just, you know, you said, you know, fish at high school level, at least at the high school level, that rarely happens. You usually either have, you know, one of two types of coaches. You either got the ones that uh, are disrespectful and, and good coaches 
all around, or you get people that are just psychopaths and they're going to complain for the, the sake of complaining. You don't usually have, in fact, I can't really recall ever having a coach that, that just snaps and then is able to recover. I mean, usually once they go off the deep end, they're, they're, they're officially off the deep end. But Fran, uh, for whatever reason, you know, it's almost like he's just blinded for that, that time period where he just blacks out and doesn't remember what he's saying or doing. But, uh, you know, I, I, the big takeaway from both of the press conferences that I, I'm amazed that more people haven't talked about is that apparently Dolph is being required to take some unconscious bias classes while Fran is not being required to take any classes. And if you watch both of those two press conferences, it was clear as day which person needs to uh, take some additional uh, classes or needs a little additional uh, nudging in the right direction, and it was not Gary Dolphin. Not at all. Anything else on Fran from your perspective? No, I'm interested to get your perspective on, on the third party of that. Uh, Gary Barda, I thought, did surprisingly well. He, he uh, you know, obviously the, the bar, he, he has set the bar incredibly low over the years, but uh, he didn't say anything incredibly dumb, and, and for the most part he seemed to be pretty transparent and, uh, you know, willing to answer questions. He didn't dodge any questions, which uh, it was refreshing to see, you know, him actually step up and, and do what you'd like to see you know, any administration do. Like, like I said, the, the bar is incredibly low, but at least he jumped over that low bar. You know, the, the bar apart, you're right, it is a low bar, and he was able to clear it. I did get annoyed a couple of times when he'd butt in when somebody would ask a question for for either Fran or for Dolpha during the press conferences, but no, that's fine. I mean, he, he is the boss, and there are probably things that he wanted to get out there and, and control the narrative, and that's a part of it, but you're right. I thought he was fine. He, he was okay. I go back to after the lawsuit and when we heard from him afterwards and the loss of for the first time. And I remember that. And I remember kind of walking away and, oh, yeah, he answered the questions. He didn't dodge things. He did a good job. So why does it have to get to this point? Why, why do they have to continually have this bloodbath in, in the court of public opinion, killing the university and the athletic department and wait nine days before we actually get to hear from them? Those kind of why does it have to be that? That's, I guess, the part more than anything that just infuriates me because it's not like Bart is some buffoon. It's not like he's some bumpkin that can't get a, a point across. He always explains things well. He talked a couple of times that he needed time to process it, yada, yada, yada. But do something. Get something in front of it because he does do a good job in these scenarios. Well, let's not go overboard, Trent. When you say he always explains things well, I, I would have issue with that. I thought... Going back to the lawsuit where they, they got hammered for over $5, 6000000 million, he did an atrocious job, I thought, of, of explaining that. And, and he took no ownership for, for any of it. He basically said, if I had to do it all over again, I'd, I'd do everything the same way. That which, was a bad look, yes. Which that... blew my mind. So, But, you know, to me what makes no sense is, you know, if you're going to take nine days, then what you should have done at the very beginning of this was just say, we are suspending Gary Dolphin indefinitely while we have the opportunity to, to, to fully investigate this matter. Don't come out and make the decision and then don't talk or don't respond or communicate at all for basically a week. You know, if you come out and you say he's suspended indefinitely, um, you know, it's still not good, but at least then you can use a narrative, okay, we're looking into this, and then... By the time you get around to speaking, you say, okay, we've looked into this. You do all the things and then say we're suspending him for 
you know, two more games. And I think people would live with that. What, what drives people nuts is you make the decision and then you don't communicate why you made the decision. So you, you can't have it both ways. You can't make the decision and then pretend that you're, uh, you know, you don't have to be accountable for doing that. So, you know, I hope, I always hope in these situations that maybe the, the administration learned something from this going forward, but, uh, that's probably a wishful thinking on my end. It feels that way. It feels like they could screw up a one-car parade, and here we are. Well, what we do know, Gary Dolphin will be back. Frey McCaffrey will be sitting out the next two games starting tomorrow against Rutgers. It'll be senior day. Frey McCaffrey is suspended for 80 minutes of basketball, but outside of that, he'll be at least be able to be around a little bit. Will he get to, when they do the introduction to Nicholas Bear? Does he get to introduce him even and be out on the floor for that and just when they tip it off, he's got to be off? Do you know how that's going to work out? I mean, from what, everything I've seen and heard, I, mean, I think he's allowed to be out there. Heck, I think he can probably be sitting two rows behind. I mean, he can be sitting in row one at Carver if he wants. I think he just literally cannot coach. So, I mean, I think he can be out there for the senior day information. He can be out there for – I can probably be out there for warm-ups, and he can probably be out there for everything. It's just once the ball is tipped, he cannot be the quote-unquote coach. So maybe he'll uh, just sit a couple rows back and scream instructions at uh, at the assistants. That'll be good. I don't think uh, I don't think Sproul will be all right, right? Sproul, he's coached before. He's taken Central Florida a couple NCAA tournaments. They're going to be okay here. And really with this game, as you mentioned to me, the biggest Iowa Rutgers game in in the history of these two proud programs, right? Yeah, speak, speaking of low bars to clear, uh, it's clearly, without a doubt, the most important uh, Rutgers-Iowa game wait, wait, of wait. all time. Which, uh, no, I think they played the NCAA tournament, Biz, right as I'm saying that. Really? I, I oh, boy. Oh, under, well, under we'll, raveling, maybe? We'll put that on hold. That boy, that boy can get a, uh, a late assignment. We'll have him dig that up for us. And Speaking of that, Trent, we did it. Did you see? 303 followers for Stat Boy. Uh, yes. Nine followers. It's the podcast effect, but uh, 303 and climbing. So we'll give him a, a post-podcast assignment to find out uh, if and when Iowa Rutgers uh, played in the NCAA tournament. I, I don't remember that if they did. It's been, it had to have been at least at least 30 years ago because I have a pretty clear recollection of, of, I think, every NCAA tournament game since uh, since Dr. Tom showed up. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> We know what we're going to get against Rutgers. They're going to play incredibly hard. They're going to give you their best effort. But the fact of the matter is I think Rutgers has literally won like four road Big Ten games ever, and I think only one of them was was against a team that's not named Penn State. So uh, <laughs> whether you're coaching or, or uh, Fran's coaching or whoever's coaching, if you're serious about being a uh, – a team that can make a run in March, you got to beat Rutgers at home. You just have to. And I know there's a lot going on right now, and I know there's uh, a lot of distractions. And you know, this you can kind of control the narrative of how these last two weeks go. If, if you come out and you, you win, and you just I don't care if you win by one and beat Rutgers, then the story is how resilient these kids are. But if you lose, then uh, this whole debacle just drags on for another few weeks. Biz, as you were talking there, uh, I was right. And I do remember the game, and you should remember the game too. It was the last ever victory for Iowa with B.J. Armstrong, Roy Marble, and Ed Horton in a Hawkeye uniform 
right before. 80, first game in 89? First game in 89. The Hawkeyes. I don't remember that at all. Race to I, a 45 39 lead. I'm so bitter about how we lost to NC State that I just I, I, I blocked out uh, the win. Uh, Rodney Monroe and Chris Corciani and those yeah, douche Well, and Brian, and Brian Gardner playing point guard instead of B.J. Armstrong. We, we decided it would be fun to have B.J. Armstrong just uh, try out shooting guard for the last game of his career. So, uh, not that I'm bitter about that at no, all. No, I, I can tell. Well, uh, let's see if there is a name on this Rutgers, because I found the box score on this Rutgers team that we know. Rick Dadika, no. Tom Savage, I wonder if that's the old quarterback from Rutgers. Say, his that's dad, probably his dad. Could, could be his dad, I assume. Uh, how about Anthony Duckett, TJ's dad, maybe? So a lot of uh, famous fathers on this team, and uh, it falls apart from there. Tom Everson, Daryl Smith, Miles Dixon, yeah, uh, not a whole lot there for Rutgers basketball. So that was the most important game. This is number two, though, on the list. I'm still claiming this one might be uh, that game was that game was a layup. We knew the we knew that team wasn't going to lose uh, to a, to a Rutgers a no name Rutgers team. So uh, I'm still counting this one as number one on the list, Trent, given yep. given the circumstances of the last few weeks. I'm digging deeper now. Uh, they were in the A10 at the time. They were 18 and 12. How did they get a bid? They were 13 and five in the A10. Bob Wenzel was their coach. How did oh, they I even get they in the auto- tournament? I assume they got an automatic bid, didn't they? Well, now now I'm going to have to dig a little deeper. Probably won the A-10 tournament that year. That's probably a good call. They were a 13 seed. And, uh, yes, conference tournament champion, 89 conference tournament go. champion, beating Temple, West Virginia, Penn State, Rhode Island, and company on their way to the title. Ah, learning something new every day. Well, I'm, I'm still holding holding tight with the fact that this one's, this one's more important than a uh, beating a bad A-10 team. Uh, uh, with one of one of our better teams of all time. Still a bold call. Still a bold call. All right, the point spread is out for this game. I said earlier this week, I think it was even Monday before the Ohio State game, give me Rutgers plus whatever. I don't care what the opening spread is. I was jumping on Rutgers. And now with this whole week and how it's unfolded and Fram being suspended, I'm more confident now that I was going to win this game and win it semi-comfortably than it was even before the Buckeye game. Am I crazy? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. Oh, oh. Well, what's the spread, Trent? I'm scrolling through. I was trying to bid a little time here. Eight and a half. Uh, eight and a half actually, is the opening that's number. That's actually exactly what I was going to guess of eight and a half. So uh, I don't think we've beaten anybody by eight and a half in quite a while. So I'd probably take Rutgers. I, I think they're a good enough team that they give everybody a good fight. But uh, I, I think we win. But get, give me the Scarlet Knights. Uh, get me eight and a half. Yeah, I still think it's too many. I'm still grabbing Rutgers with you and jumping aboard. And our, our college basketball picks got to be better than our football picks were this year. Yeah, there's, uh, again, talking about low bars, there's another one. <laughs> All right, well, as we get out of here, Nicholas Bear will play his final game in Carver-Hawkeye Arena, regardless, because this team is, uh, they're not going to fall. Even if they lose out, lose in the first round of the Big Ten Tournament, they will still be an NCAA tournament team after Tuesday night. I know there are plenty of people that were trying to say, oh, this team, they're going to fall apart and be in the NIT again. It's not the case. You look at the bubble, you look at the teams that are still in, Iowa, even losing out, is going to have a lot better resume than a lot of teams. They're fine to be an NCAA tournament team. What do you got? What does Stat Boy have for us with Nick Bear? Well, before we get into Nick Bear, Stat Boy's actually got information on just walk-ons in general. Okay. Trends. So uh, we got to go back in the time machine a little bit on, on the walk-ons because we're going to touch base on the five best walk-ons in Iowa history, and we'll, we'll see if Nick Bear uh, – 
truly is the best walk-on of all time. So before we hit the top five, here's a quick list of people that did not make the cut. Uh, Wayman King, Bart Casey, uh, Dan Bohall, Kurt Spurgeon, Jack Brownlee, Josh Kim, John Carl Williams, Darius Stokes. All uh, all walk-ons, but not top five walk-ons. So, not yeah. top five. Jack Brownlee did break uh, Goat's ankles a couple of times in a sub-state final game. That's about all I know about Brownlee. Yeah, so all those names are they're familiar names, but they didn't do much at Iowa. The other, but surprisingly, there are five of them that uh, you know pretty regular contributors. Are you ready to uh, jump in the time machine and, and look at the top five? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I know at least a couple of these names. Jump right to the top of the head, but let's see what you got. All right, number five uh, was in my era. He it was uh, graduated the same year as me. Uh, I think I played against him in a couple camps in high school, actually. Uh, Jason Bauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember, remember what high school Jason Bauer's from? Is he Bettendorf? No, Hudson. Oh. Hudson Pirates. He's a North Iowa guy. I didn't yeah. even realize that. Okay. Yeah. So played from 95 to 99, mm-hmm. contributed all four years, 21 starts, and averaged a little over two points per game in his career. So uh, a pretty regular contributor. Um, number four on the list, uh, very similar to Jason Bauer, but a few years before. Uh, Kevin Skillett. You remember Kevin Skillett? I do remember Kevin Skillett. His brother was a kicker, right? Exactly. He was the, his brother Jeff Skillett was the kicker right after uh, right after Rob Houghton. So uh, Skillett was there from '92 to '95. Um, only had six starts in three years he played, but he averaged 2.8 points a game. So slightly nudges out Bauer for the four spot. So then we jump into the top three, and the top three are pretty darn impressive. And, and Number three, he's number three for a reason, but he potentially can make an argument to be number two or number one. So, number three, uh, Kyle Galloway. Ah, yes. Presidential so, scholarship. Yes, exactly. The man had a 33 ACT and, and a 4.0. Uh, didn't need a scholarship because, like you said, the man was basically a genius. But did you know he turned down a scholarship to go play basketball at the U? Miami, Miami offered him a scholarship at the last minute, and he chose to... Uh, chose to do a preferred walk-on for the Hawks instead. Pretty good, and really, I mean, he he was a non-scholarship guy, but of this group, I would say he's probably the closest not because he could have gone other places. If he was just like a normal basketball player, nor, normal schmo going to college, he probably would have taken that scholarship offer. But he already had scholarship, uh, college paid for, so he was in good shape. Well, and Cal Galloway doesn't strike me as somebody that really would fit in at the U either. Oh, he doesn't sure, quite have but... that uh, that U swagger that, that you know they're known for. But <laughs> but when you look at his uh, stats, you forget Trent. Uh, if he would have stayed healthy, he would have he would have been a heck of a player. Uh, in the two years they played regularly, he had twenty three starts, averaged four point two as a freshman, averaged eight and a half as a sophomore. <laughs> uh, and then three games into his junior year, he had major back problems. And uh, that was pretty much it. He had to retire. So if he could have stayed healthy, I think he would have been number two or potentially even number one. But uh, he didn't, so he's in the three spot. Sioux City kid. And uh, I believe went to the same high school as my wife. His younger brother, I think, and my wife were friends in high school. See, that's, that's the kind of good info you get on this, this show, Trent. Wolverines. So, number two on the list. Can you guess who it is? Daryl Moore or B.J. Daryl Moore is correct. Oh, okay. So, Daryl Moore, uh, again, another guy I have a personal connection to because he, he started school about the same time I did as well. Truly an amazing story because the 1996 year, uh, not only did he play for the Hawks, but he was also the star of, of uh, 
the Mad Skills intramural team. He, he continued to play intramurals uh, <laughs> while being on the gray team because he was playing very minimally for the Hawks that year. Um, but an absolute Fieldhouse star. I played against him regularly, two, three times a week, and uh, it was very obvious that uh, he should not have been playing in a real basketball. And, and fortunately, um, he stuck with it, and in 1997, he became a regular contributor. But uh, it was such a surprise he was a regular contributor that he started three games without having a, a name on the back of his jersey. They actually didn't have a name for him on the back. And finally, before his fourth start, Dr. Tom decided to change that. And uh, there was a quote in the paper that, the managers refused to put the name on the back of his jersey because they didn't want to jinx how well he was playing. But uh, an amazing story, in a lot of ways, pretty similar to Nick Bear, a guy that did all the little things, hustled, rebounded, defended, to block shots, uh, just couldn't shoot the ball quite as well as, as, as Bear. So uh, why he's number two, and uh, we'll find out in a sec, I guess, who's number one. All right, well, you talk about his shooting. Guess how many uh, threes he hit as a senior? Uh, well, Statboy gave me the info. I have it oh, here okay. somewhere. But as a senior, um, 15? Nine. Nine and 20, okay. though. 45%. Yeah. I'm sure they were all wide open, too. 61% from the free throw line. Well, the funny thing is, when you look at the, num- the numbers that Statboy sent me, um, Galloway and Moore actually had played in the exact same number of games, 69 total games, and they scored the exact same number of points, 401. So they both huh. averaged 5.81 points per game. So uh, I guess you could interchange them as two and three on the list. But are you ready for number one, the number one walk-on in the history of Iowa basketball? Absolutely. Well, obviously everyone knows or thinks they know who it is, but they're all wrong, Trent. Number one walk-on? B.J. Taronis. <laughs> Clearly, it's B.J. Taronis. Uh, we may be slightly biased. In this, but You look at his numbers, Trent. They just jump off the page. Um, six for eight from the free throw line, mm-hmm. nine rebounds and four steals in, in minimal minutes. We, we won't mention that he never actually made a, uh, a shot from the field, but uh, he did the little things. He made the free throws, rebounded, stealed, just an effort guy. So, uh Clearly number one in my book, or, or, or at least uh, in our hearts, since we, since we both uh, knew him well and even lived with him for a brief time. Yes, 520 South Capitol Street. What a place to live. And what was the game where Iowa was in foul trouble? Was it at, at Illinois? And he got I caught, believe so. Yeah, at Illinois, he played some actual legitimate minutes. Like in the first half, and he got caught on a switch on who would have been the big guy? It was after Deion Thomas. Yeah, it was... It was it was John Licklider esque in, in, in the, the fact that he was playing in that that moment. So and I, and I suppose we should we should at least mention John Licklider in the, in the oh. list of uh, of of, uh, of walk ons. We try to block him from our mind, but uh, he was a he was a walk on as well, and he, and he played some moments. So uh, we'll, we'll throw him in there. But. He makes the list. He makes the list. Maybe it was Herb Cardwell. I don't know. I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking at the roster from Illinois that year. I'm not seeing a lot of big guys. They all look big again uh, next well, to Well, yeah, I was going to say, they're all big compared to their own. So. Uh, but, but seriously, obviously number one in the book, Nick Bear. Um, and as you know, Trent, I have been uh, probably the, the, the driver of the Nick Bear bandwagon for, for the entire time he's been here. I uh, absolutely love Nick Bear. I'm super excited for uh, the fact that he has a day all to himself. So, Let's start. Let's talk a couple absolutely amazing Nick Bear stats, and then, and then we'll get into some quotes as well. But uh, let's start stats first because 
There are three stats that are absolutely amazing when it comes to Nick Barry. You ready? Yes, absolutely. Number one, and this might be the most amazing of all, um, I think most people know this because it gets mentioned from time to time, but Nick Bear took a total of one three-point attempt in high school, and it was an attempt in the last minute of the last game of his high school career. Um, but he basically was a post player for Bettendorf, a very good one, but uh, never shot three-pointers. And now, due to his insane work ethic, he has made himself an incredibly good three-point shooter. 128 threes. I know he's been inconsistent, a little bit three-point percentage, but when you look at the numbers, it's amazing. He has shot 37% from three-point range in his career, which puts him above the following three individuals when it comes to three-point percentage. He has a higher career three-point percentage than Chris Kingsbury, Jeff Horner, or Matt Gaten. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that just shows you uh, what he has done when it comes to just sheer will of making himself uh, a great all-around basketball player. Not a single three-pointer in high school, and now a better shooting percentage than three of the best shooters in uh, Iowa history. It is nuts. It really is. And I remember watching him his senior year playing here at the state tournament, and I said, oh, the kid's got some nice kill- skills, and people are talking about Oh, yeah, he, he might walk on at Iowa. How is that going to translate? Because he didn't go outside. He did, well, translated well. And, and putting in the work that you mentioned, Biz, it's, it's been incredible to watch his development. You couple that with what everybody talks about, just what a great kid he is. It's a great story. And, and it's a story that we had a lot of those kind of stories under Dr. Tom. It's fun to have one of these stories here with Fran McCaffrey now, too. It, that, that Iowa kid, the walk on and making it good with the big team. You ready for amazing stat number two? Yes. So his sophomore year, Trent, he was the only Division One player in the past 25 years to put up 250 points, 45 steals, 45 three-pointers, and 40 blocks. Not a single other player in Division One basketball has done that in 25 years. Hmm. Not a single player? Nope, not a single player in the last 25 years. 250 points, 45 steals. 45 three-pointers, and 40 blocks. And by the way, Trent, just so you know, this is my information. So I went and researched this myself. Uh, my love of Nick Bear, I decided I would not pass this off to Stat Boy. I'd actually put in some effort myself for once. So uh, because of my love for Bear, this is my information. So if I'm wrong, blame me, not Stat Boy. Okay, all right, sounds good. And all these things are stolen from, from articles on the Internet. So really blame the people that uh, so, and there is a truly fabulous uh, article. Uh, I believe it's Dan Doxey is his name in the Quad, Quad yeah. Times. Yep. Wrote, wrote it last week. Just a great article. I mean, if you get time, it, it's incredibly long, thorough. It's a great story, but not only uh, you know the, the, the obvious things you know about Nick Bear, but it really gets into his family, and, and it's a great article. So read it when you get time. So number three on the list of amazing stats, he is one of only five Hawkeyes in history with 500 points, 500 rebounds, 100 blocks, and 100 steals. The other four, Trent, are, are four of the best big men in the history of Iowa. Ryan Bowen, Ace Earl, Michael Payne, and Greg Stokes. So when you, when you look at those four, you, you combine what we're talking about here. You're talking about a guy that's in the top five with big guys in that category and also has the ability to shoot three-pointers. So when you add in the fact that he's also made 100 threes, he is easily, easily the only Hawk ever to 
have 500 points, 500 rebounds, 100 blocks, 100 steals, and 100 threes, because none of those other four had more than 10 three-pointers. So that's a pretty amazing stat when you're talking about a walk-on that uh, anytime you talk about the fact that he's the only person in the category of Hawkeye history. He's a guy that is certainly, I think, overall underappreciated what he has done. That, that's a great one right there. Did you have the other names on that list again? Yeah, so the, the other four, again, these are all four of the, the best post players in Iowa history. Ryan Bowen, A.C. Earl, Michael Payne, and Greg Stokes. Yeah. He's kind of, you, know, you look at both those lists. You look at the big guys, the three-point shooters, you think, well, one of these names doesn't belong. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> clearly he does. He belongs, uh, you know, he's one of a kind. There may never be another Nick Bear um, in our lifetimes. He's a guy that came out of nowhere and has made himself uh, not only a a great story, but a great basketball player. So, Biz, anything else on the greatness that is Nicholas Bear? No, I I will just end it, Trent. You know, obviously, again, the guy's a coach's dream. Everybody knows. If if you're a youth coach, he's the guy that you look at and say, uh, you know, that's that's the guy you should be looking at and, and trying to emulate your game after. Uh, but I'll, I'll end my, uh, my love of Nick Bear with, with a pretty great quote that McCaffrey had uh, um, in that Dan Doxey article. Um, he just says, the bottom line is Nick Bear is a really good basketball player. That's just what he is. He can dribble, pass, and shoot. He defends. He runs. He blocks shots. He fills the stat line. He's really good. He's everything. He's not only that, but he's a leader, a hustler, a worker. He's smart. He's tough. He's physical, and he's skilled. Yeah. That's a lot of different things, but every single one of them applies to Nick Bear. He is, uh, as an adult at least, he's clearly my favorite player of all time. Uh, B.J. Armstrong still makes that category as a kid, and Andre Warridge as a, as, a, as a college kid. But over the last 20 years, at least in my book, there has not been a more enjoyable uh, Iowa basketball player to watch than Nick Bear. So uh, I hope he, uh, he ends on a high note tomorrow and we can, we can celebrate Nick Bear with Nick Bear Day with a win. That sounds great. And uh, after that, it'll be two road games for Iowa at Wisconsin and at Nebraska to wrap things up. Biz, uh, anything else before Biz is beat? I don't think so. Let's uh, pull off a win tomorrow and uh, get get the end of the season uh, off on a, on a with a good taste in our mouth and get all this uh, crap that happened this week uh, in the rearview mirror. Let's do it right now. Let's finish up with Biz's Beat of the Week. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Well, Biz's Beat of the Week is uh, short and simple, Trent. Uh, it's one day late, but uh, happy 90th birthday to Hayden Fry. Uh, everybody's got great Hayden Fry stories, but uh, my one and only is the fact that I uh, about kept him from getting to his 90th birthday about 20 years ago. I... Uh, Sliced the drive on the 10th uh, tee box at Pleasant Valley and, and uh, about killed a cart that was driving up the uh, the 9 fairway coming the other direction. And uh, I got up there and noticed that it was uh, the one and only Hayden Fry in the cart. And uh, he laughed off the fact that I did a terrible drive and uh, pointed me in the direction of my ball. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't hit him, and uh, I'm, I'm happy he's still around to turn 90. Right there with you, 90th birthday. Happy birthday to Hayden Fry and making – Iowa football, certainly what it is, and putting the pieces together to make this program relevant now over 40 years. Pretty impressive and a great life, and more than just that, 
for Jay Hayden Fry. Biz will do it again next week before the Big Ten tournament is upon us in Iowa baseball. We'll, we'll do uh, what hour a week on probably Iowa baseball after the basketball season wraps up. Right? Well, you want you want the bad news on Iowa baseball while while we were uh, talking, they they blew a four three lead in the bottom of the ninth and lost uh, lost game one to Ohio State. Uh, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Yeah. Who's ranked not number nineteen in the country? Yeah, they were ahead four to three and, and couldn't put them away. Give up two in the bottom of the ninth. So uh, not a good way to start the uh, the series, but they got two more games to bounce back. And uh, victories would be key. That is a long ways away. We will talk again next week. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.